0: This is Back to Excited, with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi,
1: welcome back to Excited, episode, I'm not sure what to call this, I guess this is episode 138.5, it's the the Nick Felino Emergency Trade Podcast. Yes. My name is Arvind, and joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com, it's Acting the Fooleman. Hi everybody, once again. <laughs> so, Fulman, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing already, because we already chatted today. Yeah,
2: well, to tell you the truth, the adrenaline is pumping. There's been a trade, and there's just nothing like that, we were saying before we went on. The raw drive of podcasting in response to an event. Yeah, so,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about the trade. The Leafs have traded for uh, Nick Foligno and Stefan Nosen. Nason, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Nosen for this podcast. My apologies to Stefan, if that is incorrect. Uh, Fullman, lay out the parameters, please.
2: Sure thing. So this is care of Frank Saravalli of TSN. The Leafs receive Columbus forward Nick Foligno at 25% of his cap hit. And then Stefan Nosen. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets get a 2021 first round pick from Toronto, a 2022 fourth round pick from Toronto, and they retain 50% of Felino's cap hit. And as you've guessed, the Blue Jackets routed Foligno through San Jose, So that he could, so that they could retain on him again. And so the Sharks got a fourth round pick for their troubles and for Mr. Stefan Nosen. And so the result is that Foligno arrives in Toronto at 25% of his previous cap hit.
1: Yeah. So interestingly, um, it looks like Cap Friendly has it incorrectly as of right now. They have him at 50% of his cap hit.
2: Yes. And I'm sure that that's an evolving uh, concept right now as the details of the trade leak out because we got this in bits and pieces. Right,
1: but it's our understanding that Felino will cost one point three seven five million on the Leafs cap.
2: Yes, which is obviously a big discount from his full freight of five point five, which is what it would have been sort of the year note retention. So right, yeah, uh, that's quite a deal. This is probably the big move that the Leafs have in them. They've certainly used their most obvious bullet for making a trade deadline upgrade in their first round pick. We said they shouldn't be married to it, and they obviously were not. And so the question is really, what do you think of Nick Fellino? I suppose maybe it's more efficient if I just say who Stefan Nozen appears to be very quickly. Uh, he's a 28-year-old who has made the NHL intermittently. Uh, as you pointed out, he's actually over 200 NHL games played for his career, which is often the marker for, is this a successful draft pick? But it's been scattered over various seasons. This year, he's played five games in the NHL. He's mostly an ahl at this point. At age 28, you don't expect that to change. Uh, he's occasionally looked like a sniper for brief stretches, but even then that's kind of come and gone. It's not like he's racking up huge goal totals in the AHL. Uh, it's fascinating that the Leafs got him in the course of what San Jose was doing, facilitating a trade here. I assume this is an ad for the Marlies of someone that the Leafs like and consider to be beneficial in the minor league level. It does not look likely to have much NHL significance. Unless the Leafs get hit with knock on wood, a rack of injuries. So now that we've disposed of that, we can talk about Nick Foligno,
1: who is interesting. Yes. Yeah, so I think there's there's two sort of separate questions that we can get into here. And the first, and actually let's get into this one first uh, because it you know, kind of overarchs the entire thing, is are rentals worth it, right? Mm. This is going to be a rental. Foligno expires at the end of the year. Uh, it's already been said by some reporters that, oh, you know, expect Fellino to resign in Columbus after the season. So, you know, this is a rental.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is the idea of a rental something the Leafs should be going for right now? Is it something that makes sense for them uh, in general with how, you know, rentals inherently can be a bit tricky because you're paying for, you know, 20 games of a guy?
2: The trick with rentals is that you do end up looking silly if your team loses in the playoffs and this rental player didn't make a huge difference. And that's a very plausible outcome. Most teams lose. Most contenders lose because, by definition, only one team can win the Stanley Cup. And guys who you're adding as rentals, there can be all sorts of reasons why they don't end up having a huge impact, first and foremost, because, as we've just said, they're not here very long. It's tough to have a huge impact on the team, on a team that's already well-established, that knows what it's doing, when you come in late have to kind of pick up and catch up with everybody, figure out what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to stand, and then to come in and have a major impact. And that's even truer when you're not acquiring a really star player. And I think Nick Foligno has been quite a good player in his way in his career, but I don't think anyone's mistaking him for a star. And I think people are quite clearly differentiating him from Taylor Hall, who was the other famous name on the market a more famous name on the market than Nick Foligno. So I see why people are leery of rentals, and in particular this rental. And I am generally sympathetic to that. But at the same time, we've said before, this is probably as good a shot at a cup as the Leafs can foresee getting. Not just this year, but in the years to come. They are in a relatively soft division. They are leading it quite comfortably at this point. They are well-positioned to maybe make a run to the conference finals at least. Once you make a run to the conference finals, you already have a pretty good shot, even independent of how good a team you are, because hockey's crazy and anyone can beat anybody. And the Leafs have been playing well recently. We've talked about this. Their stats have gotten more and more encouraging, even during the period where Freddie Anderson's goaltending seemed to be letting them down. And now that Jack Campbell has stabilized the net a little bit, they've been on fire. So I think that there is a very good argument that this is as good a time to strike as the Leafs were going to get. And they're in the kind of position where one, a first round pick very possibly is one of the last four picks in the draft, but it's almost certainly going to be fairly late. And two, you've got to be willing to spend to capitalize when your window is open. And I know basketball is uh, famous for this concept I think it's Daryl Morey who says when you have a 5% chance or better, you've got to just take it at a championship. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Leafs, if they buy into that reasoning, can absolutely say we're one of those teams. This is it. This is a shot.
1: Right. A related concept is, is the win curve. Right. Right. Where where are wins cheap to add? Where are wins expensive to add? And also where, are, where do wins matter the most on that curve? You know, Buffalo ran into this issue when they were emerging from the tank years because they spent assets to acquire, for example, uh, Evander Kane, right? Ryan O'Reilly, good players. Mm-hmm. But it was to take them from uh, the win curve or the points curve in the NHL of you know 50 points to 75 points. Still doesn't really matter much.
2: Yes, that was a good point that uh, Dom Lestation made a couple of weeks yes. ago Yeah, in his article about what went wrong in Buffalo, specifically their drafting, is... They made a bunch of big upgrades right at a period where it could only ruin their draft position without seriously making them a playoff team. And so the converse of that is the Leafs saying, okay, now we are in a win-now position. Every win that we get now where it positions us to go further in the playoffs is more valuable to us than ever because this is as good a shot as we're likely to get. And I think it is worth emphasizing... What a shot the Leafs have. And we've talked about this. I think sometimes we've pissed people off by being a bit conservative and pessimistic about the overall prospects of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I still don't think that they're as good as Tampa Bay or Colorado. But you can probably put together a whole big group starting at number three now that the Leafs are at least in. That's a lot. That might be as much as they've had in my lifetime. And so from that perspective... I think Kyle Dubas is absolutely approaching this as a win now season. And I think he is right to do so. Whether this is the best move is something that we can explore. But I, I normally don't like rentals. This year, I am down to make a rental. And even to pay a first for one.
1: I think there's... Yeah, I, I largely agree with what you said. It, it, insofar as rentals ever make sense... Now is when they do. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, it will probably not work because most things don't work. That's not an excuse to to not try.
2: Yes. And that's something that's kind of come up in the past with the decision to retain, say, JVR. With a, a looming contract expiry and we kind of knew we probably aren't going to be able to retain him. And it can make sense to try to maximize... Your chances in those situations, because the truth is, it's not like you're ever going to be better than 50% to win the Stanley Cup. Like, Tampa Bay is going to be, what, 25%? Probably less now, because Colorado's emerged so strongly. Like, you're always going to be more likely than not to be left looking like a failure for spending on a rental. And I think that that does color people's opinions of it a bit, but... uh, you do have to say, okay, ultimately we are here to try and win a championship and to win playoff rounds. Um, I think what it takes to win playoff rounds and Calduba's perception of it played a big part in who we decided to acquire.
1: Yeah. It does. Um, so, Felino, has mostly stands for remember, was part of the Columbus team, along with Riley Nash last year mm-hmm. that knocked us out of the bubble. And, I've seen some people on Twitter wonder if this is kind of Dubas overreacting to that failure of a playoff, se- uh, playoff series. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, maybe maybe it is to some extent, but let's actually discuss Nick Felino the player a little bit, because there's a lot of, uh, I think, dislike for this trade that I'm seeing, at least on Twitter and on PPP comments and whatnot. And I don't have an incredibly declarative opinion here, but I don't think it's on its face stupid. And the reason for that is Nick Felino. So let's talk about him as a player.
2: Right. So he's 33 years old, obviously nearer the end of his career than the beginning. He is a left wing, which is kind of what you would expect, given where the Leafs tend to have openings. He is an extremely tough competitor, Everyone raves about his work ethic, his grit, his willingness to go to the dirty areas, and his defensive acumen, which is something that is borne out by whatever advanced statistics we can find. He really is a very good defensive winger, and he has been for a very long time, and he still is this year, even though the goals have kind of gone against him because everything in Columbus has gone pretty poorly this year.
1: Um, Yeah uh it, it it's that defensive ability is really what the leafs are are paying for him. Now if you look at his play driving stats this year, so specifically let's say RAPM, he looks basically league average, and in fact it's not a split where it's, you know, bad offense and good defense that cancels out to league average the way um it off it was with I think Riley Nash to, to just pick one player. But the it has him as average offense and average defense, right? So one thing I want to mention about this, as it, relates to, um, as it relates to R.A.P.M. specifically, is that R.A.P.M., at the end of every season, forgets who you are. By that, I mean, there is no carryover from prior seasons uh, in terms of interpreting results from this season. When we say that, you know, Felino's R.A.P.M. this year is not very good, or is, I wouldn't say it's not very good, it's average by definition. Um, that means these 42 games he has been by this calculation an average play driver now that has a lot of utility when you're evaluating for example who had the best season it perhaps makes a lot more sense to do that Mm -hmm. right Um, when you're evaluating a player as a whole i think this can lead you astray a little bit because the reality is we don't have just 42 games of data on nick we have you know, many hundreds across his entire NHL career. And across his entire NHL career, he has been very, very strong defensively. And that includes last year, 2019, 2020. Now, of course, you know, results from 2011 in Ottawa, those aren't that relevant to us. But, you know, over his past three years in Columbus, since uh, 17, 18, he has consistently been a positive um, defensive player as a winger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that is the primary skill that the Leafs are attempting to buy here. To the extent that you believe that he still has that ability, that's what really what's going to drive your opinion of this deal. If you kind of have a very REPM mindset and say and think, okay, I only care about what he's done this year, then you're like, okay, it's a league average winger, we've probably overpaid for him then. Um if you think or a league average winger without much, you know, kind of outstanding skill set, which I think can be less valuable than a league average winger the way I think the Leafs are playing for Foligno, uh, where he is middling at offense and tremendously good at defense.
2: Yes. If he's not great defensively, this is a huge disappointment. I think they have good reason to believe that he is a good defensive winger. For those reasons that you just talked about, obviously. We have his whole track record. And I do think I respect so much the work that the Evolving Wild Twins do, and this is not their fault, by any means, but I do think that they have sometimes charts that are meant to show a specific thing, that are meant to be descriptive, uh, for example, of what a player is doing this year, or that are, are isolating in that specific sample, and then sometimes they get used to say, okay, here's what a player is. Katcha has that line. There's a difference between what a player does and what a player is, and obviously the two of them are connected, but... We shouldn't take it as a given that because, you know, the bars aren't as tall as we would like this year, that Nick Foligno is no longer what he looks to have been for such a long time. And so I right. do like the fit here, at least in theory, because Nick Foligno seems to bring all sorts of things that the Leafs have been oft criticized for lacking, and I do think. Uh, people are talking about, did the Columbus series have an impact on Kyle Dubas? I don't think it's coincidental that they have two guys who exemplified the Columbus mode of play, and that Kyle Dubas has now gone out of his way to get them.
1: Yes. Um, I should also mm-hmm. say, I, I misspoke slightly uh, when I said um, Felino was like an average winger in the sense, or even at his peak was an average winger in the sense of, you know, weak offense, uh, strong defense. He was an above average winger because of his amazing defense, and he had middling offense. I meant to say average offense. Yeah. Um, And that does make a significant difference this year. He, again, by single season metrics only in terms of play driving looks, you know, average ish. Mm -hmm. Um, But as recently as last year, he was, you know, well above that. And of course you don't throw away this year's data, but last year should also inform your opinion at least somewhat. And it seems clear to me that, you know, as you said, Dubas is banking on, um, strong defensive value from Foligno. That's that's his raison d'etre.
2: Yeah, so the real question here is, okay, is this what he's for then? And you were talking about this. If Nick Foligno is a really strong defensive winger, if he can cause little or nothing to happen, can the Leafs put together a third line based around Nick Foligno, and then the center is Alex Kerfoot, or Pierre Engvall, or even Riley Nash come playoff time? And whoever else? Can that line play, say, the Leandro Seidel line and play them close to even in goals? I don't know, but I could see the logic in doing that and I can see the logic that if you think this is the thing that's most important to do, this is the acquisition that was most important for the Leafs to make, I can see why you think Nick Foligno is the fit there. Now that doesn't preclude them using him higher in the lineup either. Nick Foligno, as as you mentioned, did have offense at one point. I
1: don't think he has a whole lot left. Like, the offensive side of the pocket seems
2: to have faded away from him.
1: Yeah, granted, I mean, let's say we play him uh, in the top six. Well, that's obviously going to be with John Tavares and William Nylander. Mm. I mean, that's a quality of teammate he hasn't had in a long, long, long time, if ever.
2: Yes, we were talking about this, who was his primary center this year in Columbus, and Boone Jenner was the answer.
1: That's not a pristine situation, if you want to get points. Right. Nor is Columbus. And one head. thing... Yeah. Yeah, one thing that's encouraging about Foligno's offense is that his uh, shots and, you know, individual expected goals rates have been very similar over the last four or five years. I think one of the obvious things that starts to decline when players really start declining is their shot rate. And the one guy we've seen that with actually is Wayne Simmons, who is just an absolute shot monster at his peak and is nowhere near that now. Mm-hmm. Um had, uh shot pro- his shot profile has not atrophied to that degree. He's had some iffy finishing years. This year he's been slightly below league average in terms of how he finishes. He has 7 five uh 7 uh goals on 7.83 all situation uh xg by evolving hockey. His zero, he has his 5v5 individual expected goals per 60 is basically league average and he'll convert a little bit less than that. Um I don't think it's indefensible to play him at that second line left wing. Mm-hmm. He's certainly a really brutal four-checker. He counterbalances some of Nylanders and, and Taveras, to be fair, defensive frailties. And he's not so bad offensively that he can't keep up. But that line has been so good with Galchenyuk there that I think it actually makes more sense to play Felino on a, a, on a depth line instead with a kind of different mandate. And part of the reason I think that is because I think Galchenyuk can do can result in a um, Taveras line that is about, about as good, maybe a little bit worse, than what Felino could add to that. In, in different ways, but I'm talking on net. But Galchenyuk played lower can absolutely not replicate the things that Felino can do.
2: Exactly. And it's the sort of thing that we've been talking about all year with the third line, where Zach Hyman is able to do both. He's the guy who can be the elite, complementary power-forward type player. And he's also the guy who can be the defensive anchor. Alex Galchenyuk has shown more than I thought he had left in him. And has established that maybe he can be that offensive partner. Certainly, I don't blame the Leafs for wanting to see more of it. You know, for being willing to give that more run. Because it's been so successful. And then Nick Foligno, potentially gives us another option. Like, I think the bottom line on this trade, as much as anything, is now Zach Hyman gets to go where he is best and play with Matthews and Marner as much as possible. And I think that that's a non-trivial benefit for
1: the team just in and of itself. Right. One other thing I want to point out is, uh, I guess, marginal benefit as it relates to where hockey teams need help. Let's say I'm the... Um, let's say I'm the Habs. So, sorry, I'm going to have to like, make myself a lot uglier and dumber and all that sort of thing. I
2: just feel nauseous that you've said this, actually. But
1: let, let's say I'm the Habs. And one of the, th- so one of the things that makes potentially bringing someone like Cole Caulfield into, onto the NHL roster for the playoffs, one of the things that makes that so tantalizing, if I'm a Habs fan, or if I'm the Habs ownership or whoever, front office, is that, okay, we have this great play-driving team that is around average at finishing. It's really bad at all at uh, everything that's not five on five. It's not very good on special teams. Now we have this guy who might have plus finishing talent, mm-hmm. and that can give us that can give us a boost in an area where we need it the most, where there's the most room for upside. Right. Conversely, if I'm the Washington Capitals, yeah, I'm not saying no to Cole Caulfield, right? But who is he replacing? Well, he's probably replacing another guy who's also pretty good at finishing,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So, as it relates to the Leafs, if you believe that Foligno is, you know, a roughly league average player in terms of five-on-five play um, who provides strong defense, middling offense, below average finishing, and if you have another fictitious 5v5 player who provides, you know, strong offense, mediocre defense and okay finishing, right? Let's say on net, this comes out to be the same same value player. The latter is possibly less valuable to the Leafs because of what they replace. Mm-hmm. And, right, the Leafs have yeah. more room to go up defensively than offensively. And that's notwithstanding the fact that their defense has been genuinely quite good, right? As good as it's been, you know, in the Matthews era. they're They're still a better... I think offensive team the defensive team, to, if you ask anyone, I think you would still have that kind of um, label. Felino can boost their defense at the area where it, it's weakest uh, it, 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 with the depth.
2: Yes, and I think that this is something that is clouded by what you think the Leafs are and what you think their alternatives are. And I think that that's playing a role in how people react into it. So first of all, we said... The emergence of Alex Kelcheniak as a maybe potential fixture-ish at second line left wing shouldn't dissuade you from making an upgrade if you can make one. And I am not sure that I would assume that it it will or that it has. Uh, It sounds like the bidding market for Taylor Hall is kind of heating up a little bit, but we don't know what he's going to go for uh, when the trade comes. Taylor Hall is a better player than Nick Foligno, obviously. But it's possible that the price and or managing the salaries was not viable there. And then we have to look at, okay, how worthwhile is an upgrade on its own account of Nick Felino? And Nick Felino does do a lot of things that the Leafs have historically considered a weakness and may still. And again, that's what's so striking that the Leafs went out and got two forwards from the team that kind of suffocated them last time. I think that that made an impression on Cal And I think that you can draw a line through the acquisitions of Zach Bogosian and Wayne Simmons and Riley Nash and Nick Felino as all elements that I think Kaldubas thinks the Leafs need or could benefit from acquiring. If you buy that playoff hockey is somewhat different, then you probably buy that Nick Felino was more worthwhile for that. And if you buy that the Toronto Maple Leafs were really weak, at that element. Again, he seems like he can pass that hole a little bit. I think people are comparing him to Taylor Hall mentally and it's going to be tough to compete with a guy who won a Hart Trophy not that long ago. And so maybe Hall ends up going for the same price and we end up saying, hey, Kyle, what were you thinking here? You passed on the good addition. But in and of itself, you can definitely see a real case for Foligno. And I do buy that his offensive contributions might be a little bit more than it looks like. We've described him first and foremost in terms of his defense, which is what he's primarily for, I think. But if he can be the guy who who adds that element, as you were saying, that forechecking, that ability to crash the crease a little bit to ca- cause some mayhem, that's another thing that the Leafs could use more guys to do. And so you can really see a fit here. And... I think as much as anything, if you want to say, okay, what's positive about this deal is that the fit looks quite strong to me. I really do buy that this is the kind of addition you make where it could be worth more in terms of team fit than just in terms of the pure value of Nick Foligno.
1: Right. One thing I also like about Foligno is that it gives the Leafs some options. He's versatile. Yes. Right. We talk about this with prospects where... If you're not an elite, high-level, high-skill-level prospect, where you're, you know, you know, okay, I, I have the abilities to stick on an NHL first, an NHL first line. You want to have a lot of ways to succeed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to be able to do a bit of PK. You want to be able to take face-offs. You want to m- m- give coaches a reason to say, oh yeah, I can, I can just put that guy in wherever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Felino does that, right? He can play a little bit of center. He takes a good amount of face-offs uh, every year, and he doesn't do them amazingly well but he's like 47 percent. it's like respectable
0: mm-hmm.
1: right it, it's you're not getting cleaned out he can play you know he, yeah he can play on the top line if he if we want him there i don't see why we would take hyman off um we could play him with taveras if we want we could play him on a third line to kind of really anchor a hard checking role there's different ways that it can work now we also haven't really discussed his special teams fit at all um we've been getting some requests to talk about the power play recently mm-hmm. and it's a good idea cuz the power play has been an important topic it's been struggling uh, filino does play on the power play i i don't i don't really care about the fit on the power play to be completely honest we have we have so many options there they they just need to find something that works at this point it, it, you know there's a bunch of options figure it out it shouldn't be that hard mm-hmm. i haven't done a deep dive into it and we maybe we will soon but i'm not really counting on any you know big improvement from Fellino in the uh, uh, from on the power play,
2: some arrangement of the players that are already there should be sufficient to solve the problem, and yeah, I, I do feel like Nick Felino is kind of an an extra element there where you might get an interesting look out of it, and maybe you just want to try stuff for the sake of trying stuff to change up the rhythm a little bit, but the, there's no combination where. Nick Foligno is really the most important person in changing the trajectory of the power play unit, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, I I certainly agree with you there that I don't expect too much out of that if something
1: comes of it, great. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so, yeah, I I think those those are my main thoughts. I mean, this probably seems like we're coming off more positively than I think we necessarily are. Because um, the price is high. We've, we haven't really talked about the price at all. You know, uh, a first round pick and two fourths. Mm-hmm. A couple of things I'll note. We're paying as much for the retention as we are for the player. Yeah. Right? And, and that, that matters. Like you don't divorce that. We're still paying that for, you know, the services of this player and Stefan Nosen. <laughs> Sorry, Stefan. <laughs> also appearing
2: um, in this excerpt, yeah.
1: Yeah. But... You know, that, that's one thing. That was the reality of, of the least cap situation, right? We needed other teams to facilitate. Picks this year are going to be weird. And that's not to say picks this year are, you know, not valuable. Um, because logically, all picks cannot have decreased in value unless you believe that this year's prospects are just have, have been have had their uh, development significantly and permanently hampered by by COVID restrictions. Um, but it is a season where there's probably less certainty about uh, draft picks, and that teams may feel okay. You know, if we're a good team, now is the year to give it up. Mm-hmm. We're not prospect guys. I don't think we can really say it is a high price to pay. It's maybe more than we would have liked. But I do actually what, what I can say I like, and you know, you tell me if you agree, Fulhaman, is that I can see the fit with Fellino, I can see the situations in which he provides pretty notable value to the Leafs and helps them win. Definitely. And that's the most positive takeaway. Now, you can spin
2: that whole team fit thing that we're talking about in a different direction. You can say the Leafs fell in love with a complementary piece that doesn't really move the needle to an immense degree. And it has to be said, the most likely outcome for any contender is you don't win the Stanley Cup. And there is a related outcome to that, where, come the draft, the Leafs don't have a first-round pick. And they haven't won the Stanley Cup. And so there is a real twinge as you watch Columbus select some player that you can dream on in the draft. That's the risk that Caldubas is taking. And as we talked about at the top of the episode, I think there's an argument for saying, these are the kind of moves you have to make now. I have mixed feelings about how much I think Caldubis has really committed to a particular model of the team, or I think he's identified basically the lack of players like Nick Foligno as being what held this team back. I really do believe that. Like I think that he he looked at grit and forechecking and crease crashing. And defensive solidity and commitment and the capacity to bleed on the ice and keep going. All of those things are things that I believe he's looking for. That he's gone out of his way to acquire again and again. He hasn't given up on skill. It's still a skill team. And he hasn't gone, you know, silly with it. But I do think that he said, okay, that was a missing piece. And we need to add that to a strong basic group to get to the final level. I find that persuasive without knowing how true it is, and that kind of leaves me as tentatively positive about this deal, but I can see where it might go wrong. I mean, I thought the Thomas Blakanic, uh trade rental was fine when we did it, and he did very little and then left. And that's not out of the question either for Nick Foligno. With Foligno, it's worth
1: also talking a little bit about his usage. We've said multiple times he's very good defensively. And one thing I want to make clear is that he is not a player who has gotten good defensive results in sheltered usage. Mm -hmm. He is played like a big boy. He plays tough competition. He plays big minutes. He plays defensive zone starts. And he does this while having, generally speaking, not not that great teammates beside him. So, like, over the course of his career, he probably has deserved a Selkie nomination or two. And ironically, because he has never been tremendous offensively, he's had one actually one seventy point year, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But because, because he's never really been an offensive star or standout to the degree of guys like, um, you know, Sean Couturier or Ryan O'Reilly, or, or you know, Patrice Bergeron all of whom have deserved their Norse trophies, by the way. Or sorry, their um, Selkie trophies. He's missed out on nominations because of his lack of offense. Right? He's genuinely been a phenomenal defensive player throughout his career. As we covered, his defensive results this year specifically have not been amazing. But we wouldn't believe... We wouldn't put... We wouldn't overemphasize 40 games of... um, Forty games of meh results from say John Tavares either, right.
2: Now the I mean the right. point would be Flinno is thirty three years old, and you mm-hmm. could say, hey, when the decline comes, it will come soon, and it will look like this,
1: maybe. Which is, I mean, possible. Mm-hmm. But his offense hasn't really his individual offense in terms of shot rate hasn't really declined that much, right? As 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 mentioned as mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah, and Columbus has been quite bad this year maybe right. to a greater extent than is popularly recognized
1: i'm gonna say i can buy that he's declined and that that's that's of course always the most likely outcome when you see you know a dip in performance from age 32 to 33 or, or 33 to 34 um he's 33 yeah he's 33 mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's absolutely that's absolutely a possibility I wouldn't be incredibly sure that's like, okay, he's definitely declined, he's no longer great defensively. Even if you take the midpoint between what he was this year, or sorry, what, what he is this year and what he was last year in terms of his play, that still leaves you with a very strong defensive player.
2: Exactly. And so I think that you can see this as kind of the end game of all that monkeying around with Hyman, Angval, of Kerfoot, trying to put together third lines that win minutes against second lines. Nick Foligno is an ingredient to improve their capacity to do that. And that's something that we've talked about before. And, you know, I know that this is something that you've talked about, too, which is a line that can win its minutes against tougher competition. Because, again, that's the name of the game for the Leafs when they can open up chances for John Tavares and Austin Matthews to shred opposing depth. This is the kind of deal where it's, it's consistent. With the plan that Kyle Dubas has been working towards for at least the past year, but also longer term. You can absolutely see how it it fits with his vision and what he's tried to do. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily smart or the best use of assets, but it does mean that it's not a swerve, it's not incoherent, and I don't think it's stupid. I think that it is... A rental, and rentals always have great potential for disappointment. But I think they are in a position to make one.
1: So, one criticism I can see of this from a team building perspective is: okay, you're spending this much money on a guy who is, at best, you know, a slightly above average, a slightly above league average forward mm-hmm. at this point in his career. Right. That that's probably the rosiest way you can interpret. You can say is average offense or like below-average offense because his, his finishing might not be very good. Uh, good defense, but probably not selkie defense anymore. It, he's a good player, b- above league average, but not changing anything. How is that smart, as opposed to saying, okay, Matthews or Tavares, win your minutes against Tufts, right? That's what we're paying you 12 and $11 million for. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the common counter. And I, I have a counter to that, but... I want to hear, what, do, what, do, what would your counter to that be if you have one?
2: So, first of all, Matthews is already kind of doing that, for one
1: thing. but s- well, they, both kind of, they both kind of are. Neither are getting super sheltered, right? And I guess, sorry, I, I threw it to you and then I'm immediately... <laughs> <disappointed>. <laughs> it's all right.
2: I've been talking a lot.
1: Um, but n- neither are getting pillow-soft usage by any means. And this is not also going to be a situation... You know, we talk about matching up third lines to second lines. It's not always completely doable. It, it's about degrees. It's a continuum. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a few more shifts of the third line against second lines. Yeah, we're A few more shifts with John Tavares against Kyle Teres. And I
2: do worry that I especially do that, where I say, okay, here's the basic thing that's going on here, and that makes it sound more absolute than it is, because obviously we know quality of competition has a way of balancing out, certainly in the longer term, but even in the course of an evening. And the other coach also exists, and is a protagonist in his own mind too, and he if he doesn't like the matchup that you are trying to throw at him, he can try and avoid it and do some more easily. Especially
1: if you're on the road. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so that has to be certainly something that you keep some awareness of when you talk about a plan like this. Um, I think the best defense of Foligno also in that circumstance is that if he can win his minutes handily... Uh, against third lines and or kind of saw off even against second and first lines any way you slice it that's a good outcome for what the Leafs have going on in their bottom six like the Leafs are already playing Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev this is not you know the third line with Kadri on it anymore as we've remarked on more than once and so I think that As the Leafs have already kind of gone in the direction of trying to be more defensive, a bit lower event in the bottom six. And as we've seen with Sheldon Keefe's experiments that started with uh, Hyman, Kerfoot, Mikheyev, and then have gone through the hemline. And now we're looking at possibly Foligno taking Hyman's role on there. Or Riley Nash getting in the mix. You know, all of these look to me like different ways to win minutes with players who aren't the
1: best at scoring. I think it also makes the team less exploitable, mm. right? Other teams are, might be licking their lips and saying, oh, let's try and, you know, take advantage of, uh, I don't know, what our four, what's, what, what's our fourth line? Simmons, Engvall, Mikheyev right now, isn't it?
2: It varies depending on the evening, but yeah, it depends who you, depends where you want to put Jason <laughs> yeah. Spezza. <laughs>
1: yeah, I suppose. But, you know, with Foligno on a, on a depth line, maybe they're like, okay, well, you know, that, that inoculates that line to some degree. Now, I just saw an interesting tweet um, from one Paul Hendrick. <laughs> Henny. Yeah, everyone loves Henny. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's, you know, he's chatting with fans, as, as Henny always does, because, you know, he's a saint. Um, and Hendrick says something like, uh, regarding Felino, he's just asked a, a question about, uh, about Fellino and uh, the, the celebration he did, or a celebration like his, his, his dad did on his first leave school. His, his dad was a former Leafs player. And Hendrix says, playing alongside JT and Willie, he'll get his chance and then some. Okay. Now, look, <laughs> Henny's not in the coach's room or anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a least employee, but he's a in employee on the media side. But he said he retired now, isn't he, anyway? I don't know what his... He he's is. He's probably still he is. friends. But, but yeah. I tend to think that, like, he has some idea of this, or at least of how people in this world think. Mm. So mm-hmm. we probably do, in fact, see Fellino on that line at first and if it works it works i that's not my preferred iteration for the reasons i mentioned i think the drop off from felino Felino to galchenyuk there is um not necessarily very large and the drop off from felino to anyone else in a bottom six wall might be quite a bit larger because you know the roles and the teammates are are so different Mm -hmm. but you know we'll, we'll see what happens on that front um the, the counter I was going to mention to that before I got sidetracked there, before I, I, I sidetracked myself, really, um, was was the following. With Matthews and Tavares, I think they can play toughs and succeed. We, as you said, Matthews has basically been doing that. Tavares has done that for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Neither are getting sheltered in any particular way now. But that doesn't mean that's the best way to use them,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: There's this tendency to talk about sheltering, and I guess even the name implies it, um, of sheltering and usage as, like, a moral failing. Like, you are less of a man if you play best in the offensive zone or if that's how the team can utilize you best.
2: And that and dovetails really a, neatly with everything that people complain about about William Nylander, which is...
1: It does, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a dangerous mindset to get into because it's just usage, right? It, 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 we want Austin Matthews in the offensive zone. When he has those great rushes that would get on a on a selkie highlight reel, where he breaks up a play in the offensive zone, takes it, uh, or breaks up a play in the defensive zone, takes it to uh, the end of the other end of the rink and gets a great shot or a chance or a goal, those are all great. But then you know what's better when he doesn't have to do that because he starts in the offensive zone and just you know skips all the first stuff and just goes straight to the scoring.
2: Yeah, and you know, sometimes that's just the best way to use a player. I know Patrick Kane for the longest time in Chicago. Patrick Kane can't play defense for shit. And he has had a string of coaches who have acknowledged that, including Joel Quinville, who I think is consensus one of the best coaches on the planet. He certainly is up there for my money. And so I do not think that there's anything wrong with having players that you use carefully, that you use for different purposes. And I think you were kind of going in this direction also with the Leafs are less exploitable when they have players who are good at more than one thing, who are strong in different aspects of the game, who can win their minutes more than one way, uh, or in a way that's different. And that might make it easier for Matthews and
1: Tavares to focus on what they do best. Um, I don't want to speak for you. I kind of risk doing that there. <laughs> but, no, I, th- I think that that makes a lot of sense, right? It, it's, it's not a moral failing on the part of our stars if they're better in the offensive zone.
2: That's and partly why you want pay to get them play- so much money.
1: <laughs> exactly. So if you get players to, that allow you to use them in the way that they provide, that, they, that they're at their best more often, that seems like a good idea. Now, I think what this deal is going to come down to is how real is Foligno's, uh defensive impact Right? How, how significant is it at this point? Has he declined, or will we see a return to, a, to the prior years? And secondarily, it's, is his offense good enough to keep up on a second line with uh, Tavares and Nylander? Part of the reason I like Gao there is because you know, for all his real faults as a player that have resulted in you know, him bouncing around so much, you can absolutely see the top five pick skill level when the puck is on his stick mm, mm, definitely plays don't die with him he's able to be the connective tissue that the third guy sometimes has to be we saw it on one of the goals matthew scored against ottawa yesterday where valetaniak just makes an, a nice play to keep the puck in the offensive zone with it's like a through the legs drop back a drop pass to marner when he was under some pressure and that's not an enormous play or anything, but that's a play that, for example, Ilya Mikheyev doesn't make, mm. or Wayne Simmons probably doesn't make at this point in his career. That sort of stuff makes a difference, right? Felino, his value offensively is more on the on the forechecking, puck retrieval, um, that sort of side of things, puck battle side, as opposed to creative plays with the puck. That can still be very useful for that tavares nylander combination. But uh, you still need to be able to you know, have say very significant puck skills to really make an impact on that line, I think. Mm-hmm. And Felino's not devoid of that, but I don't think he's at the same level as someone like Galchenyuk, Um in that particular way. Obviously, he's much better at many other things, which make him an overall kind of better
0: player.
2: I, d- I definitely agree with that on uh, on all counts. I do think... There's one other thing that I kind of wanted to remark on about this, and I think that part of the reason maybe some people are less enamored of this deal uh, is because they come from a tradition in hockey analytics where... I think a lot of people came up in an era of, you know, being a hockey nerd where Corsi was king, gritty players are generally overrated, the things that... People talk about about intangibles and toughness and grit and all that sort of stuff is mostly treated as kind of moonshine or if it matters, it will be measurable. And then so you look at a player who was maybe net average at this point in his career as a forward, like no or who has had difficult shot numbers on a not very good team. I think people look at that and they say, this is paying for stuff that isn't worth anything. And I think that's a that's equal parts kind of a little unfair and also underrating what Foligno clearly can bring. And what some of these metrics kind of strain out is that he really is good defensively. And I think that that is real. It's been sustained for so long to such an extent that I buy it. And so I do get why people maybe aren't as in love with this as they might be. And again, tough to compete with the possibility of Taylor Hall. But looking at the strictures that they were operating under, one, the Leafs had to double, get double retention, and they had to pay for it, and two, there were only so many options, I suppose. And so if Taylor Hall was becoming less viable for reasons of price or ability to deal with the salary ramifications of it, I can see why Foligno might have been the next best option. I can see why you might prefer him to Mikhail Granlund, for example, although Nashville probably took Granlund off the market when they surged. Uh, So this makes sense to me, is what I keep coming back to. Now, famous last words, because Kadri for Kerfoot and Barry made sense to me at the time, too. But I do not think that this is crazy or stupid or even necessarily... A bad idea. Like I'm on board with giving this a try, even though I think the you know the end of most rentals and most playoff runs is you lose, and I'm conscious of that. That's why it's such a, a painful bet to have to make. But I do really believe that Nick Foligno is going to bring something to this team. I agree.
1: I i re- i really i really agree. I mean, I it's weird. I think I'm normally in agreement with a lot of the hockey. Twitter world when it comes to these sorts of trades. And again, I, I, I don't think this this is like not a obvious slam dunk home run or anything like that. But I think people undervalue skater defense. I really mm. do. And I think that this year has been is not necessarily what we're we can it's not it's not necessarily been representative of what Felino can add to the Leafs. Now mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is representative of what he will add to the lease, and he's just not very good anymore. He's declined over the summer, whatever. But you know, when we talk about uh, last year, I mean, a lot of, uh, an important part of last year happened in, in August. Mm-hmm. Right? Felino was very good in the bubble against us, and from what I saw, pretty solid against Tampa as well. I, I don't buy that he has gone from that to like suddenly losing all of his defensive value. I I I really don't buy that. I think you he can have he's had you know for by his standards a poor defensive forty games, but he has a track record that I am willing to um, bet on at least to some degree, or at least willing to provide allowance for for some mediocre results by his standards.
2: I do think that everything that's gone on with Columbus this year has also made me more forgiving, perhaps, than I might otherwise have been. The thing with Dubois, the eventual trade and replacement with Patrick Line, The reality is, it comes down to, you know, Foligno is one of their best wingers, and he was playing most of his time with Boone Jenner. If the Leafs end up playing him with Pierre Engvall, or Alex Kerfoot, or Riley Nash, that's not even that far of a step down. In Kerfoot's case, he may not even be that far behind Jenner at all. Like, I do buy that he was being asked to do a lot without a lot in terms of teammate quality. And I think that the Leafs can probably get as much out of him as possible based on how they're going to use him. I'm real curious to see how that left-wing situation works out in terms of does he bump Galchenyuk a little bit or does he end up settling in as a third-line guy. But I do think that there are cases for both options. I do, I, you know, in the end, I agree with you. I would leave Galchenyuk where he is, and then I would try and have no drive some sort of defensive third line. But we'll see.
1: Galchenyuk's got to be sweating a bit. at He's like he, he played so well. He, he was good against Ottawa as well.
2: Yes, although and, he and has and the same thing that we were... It's the flip side of the disappointment that hockey Twitter is feeling, right? It's like you're not sweating as yeah. much as you would be if Taylor Hall came in.
1: That's absolutely true. And the thing with Galchenyuk is like, can he succeed, or is it, does it does it matter, or is he going to be useful on a third line or fourth line without the high end talents to bounce off of and take up so much defensive coverage, right? And to do, and to dominate the puck. Galchenyuk has been a very dogged forechecker and and puck pursuer, but he's still not good in his own zone at all,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's still spacey and all that stuff. The the thing with Taveras and Niander there is that you don't have to spend much time in your defensive zone. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah.
2: I I won't, uh, you know, engage in trying to do some sort of trade grade because I don't know that I can boil it down. But my honest opinion on this whole deal is, okay, it's a big bet, but it makes sense. I guess that's my uh, my comment if I have to be definitive on it. It's an understandable risk. It's a
1: risk nonetheless.
2: Yes. And, and like, we, that's the we, thing. We've... is, like, I see how this gets painful, and I know that mm-hmm. if the Leafs lose at some point, God help them if they lose in the first two rounds, but very possibly, people are going to be lamenting this trade immensely. And I do think that, if you'll indulge me a little bit here, I do think that people had a vision of Dubas as a GM who didn't do this sort of thing. And that has probably been sort of fading over recent months anyway. But there was still this idea of him as this progressive GM who simply wouldn't do anything I didn't like. And now I think some people are looking at a trade that they don't like very much compared to what they believe to be the alternatives. And they're feeling some disillusionment about him. But I do think that this is consistent with what he's been doing. And I think that there's a logic to it.
1: With that, uh, I mean, I'll, we can conclude by saying the two most frequently said words in this podcast. I agree.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, we try to disagree with other people who aren't on the podcast. Does that count for anything? If, just, if we just agreed too
1: much with ourselves? So, anyway. So, yeah, I think, I think that just about covers it. Um, I don't think there's anything else we really need to, to add, or at least to add on to this podcast. My apologies again to Stefan Nosen and his family. We'll see who's laughing when he ends up being the guy who gets the Stanley Cup winner, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I he, he his his hockey viz profile is like very positive too. Like it looks really good, and then you see like the games played, and it's like, oh, okay, this is this is odd. Yeah, he feels like one of those
2: quadruple A almost ish players, or who like shows kind of all right in a small sample, and then just the coaches don't quite go for it. I mean, they did for yeah, a bit. He
1: could very yeah he could very well be one of those guys where it's like. In another world where he he gets caught he he catches on with a team where the coach just likes him more he has you know a long respectable NHL career mm-hmm. and he's you know he's had runs in the NHL he's had almost two hundred games played like it's 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 a very respectable NHL career in of itself already
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but yeah like there's so many guys like him on the fringes where you know sometimes you catch sometimes you don't and it's not always your fault if you don't
2: mm-hmm. absolutely so. Yeah, you know, we were a bit dismissive of him, and I think the fact that we've spent 98% of this podcast talking about Nick Foligno is reflective of how how the trade was meant to work, but, you know, hey, maybe he'll, he'll get some play with the Marlies and have some fun
1: down there. Yeah, we'll see. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fulman's work at com, and you'll also, there'll also be a lot of stuff from people who are not us about um, this trade and, you know, analysis and all that sort of thing. Uh, You can also catch us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. And thank you for listening. We will see you next week.